that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Martin's Law Podcast, back with another edition. Wednesday, March 24th, 2021. Thank you everybody for joining me once again. You can also, don't forget, follow me at Morton's underscore law on Twitter and Morton's Law Podcast on YouTube. I'm finally doing more work with the YouTube. I've uploaded some recent clips of the show. My plan is to provide exclusive content on YouTube while still uploading clips of this podcast. I know I've been promising that for a while, but I, I want to do more with this show. And hopefully you can help me get to that next level in terms of audience. So coming up on this episode, I have thoughts on recent activity in NXT and AEW. March Madness is here. What's going on? I'm going to tell you about that. Why I load the NBA. That should be fun. And my Chicago Bears are a complete abortion of a franchise. I will go deep into that. So let's get right into this week's episode. My Twitter account was suspended. Why, you ask? Well, I just get Google News here and there, and I found this article of a man in Louisville who is mentally ill and raped an 8-year-old child. Unbelievable. So I tweeted... Jim Cornette, because he's also from Louisville, and I thought there would be an interesting connection, plus he also has a great disdain for pieces of shit like this, and how much of a horrible situation it is, and here's what happened. I could not believe this. I tweeted Jim Cornette the article, and I said, this man should be euthanized, right? That's it. I just said he should be euthanized. No profanity, nothing along the sort. Within two minutes of sending that tweet, I was notified my account was suspended for seven days. And that I had to remove it, but I could also appeal. So I'm a little unclear about the whole appeal slash remove process. But to this day, what are we, four days into the suspension? I have not heard back from Twitter regarding my suspension. So fuck you, Twitter. And by the way, I'll let you know that when my account is reinstated. So I'm likely going to be banned from Twitter after what I say to these people. It's just unbelievable. I mean, this is how you get rid of my account or suspend my account over me saying a rapist should be euthanized? It's, It's unbelievable. Now, I get it. They have trigger words. Okay, I want to be clear on this. I know they have trigger words, and it's probably not a human being making this decision. But they need to understand the difference. There needs to be sometimes somebody making a decision on this. Okay, he wished a rapist be euthanized. That's okay, right? I mean, so basically they're condoning the rape of children by suspending my account. That's how it comes across to me. Alright, I know they're not doing that. I get it. I mean... For them to do this, I really wish that the guy could rape the people who made this decision to suspend my account. But in all honesty, this man should be euthanized. I've said this before on the show. I think people who suffer from mental illness and don't take their meds and are capable of committing such a heinous act like raping a child, murder, anything of the sort, should be put down like the animal they are. How can you dispute that? It is a joke that criminals and people like this have way too many rights and freedom in this country. It makes me sick that people have to live in fear in some aspects because of people walking the streets like this man. It just isn't right. And how about those who become victims of people like this and the fear they have to live with for the rest of their life? It's, it, it's horrible. It is horrible what, what is allowed in this country because of that word freedom. So I was so irate about this article. I shared it with friends, co-workers, just knowing that people need to be alert 
about situations like this. Listen, I know you can only protect your children so much, but as a parent, it, this is alarming to know people exist like this. Now, I'm not a parent, but I think my friends should know about this. It's just terrible. And to make the story worse, listen to this, it gets worse. This piece of shit, mentally ill individual, is going to get off on this charge. Here's why. His lawyers are claiming he's mental incompetent and cannot stand trial or anything of the sort. Yet, yet, listen to this, there are claims from the other side that this man is mentally competent and knows how to manipulate the system. Imagine that. Just let that, digest that for a moment. A man rapes an eight-year-old child and he's going to walk the streets. It's, it's sickening. And what kind of piece of shit do you have to be as an attorney to defend this man? And I don't even want to call him a man, by the way. How do you look at yourself in the mirror defending people like this? Listen, I'll say this. A judge, a judge should acquit the parents of this child if they hunt this man down and murder him. Should be acquitted. That's it. You go to a court, your honor, I murdered the man who raped my eight-year-old daughter. Judge to say case dismissed. That's it. It should be that fucking simple. It's a joke. And what was alarming to me also is I had to explain to my coworkers in such a text why I would send an article. I mean, I don't know, your parents, you should know stuff like this. I didn't send the text for my enjoyment. I mean, I also did have to threaten a coworker. Because he didn't comprehend why I would send such a text. I really never thought I would have to explain a text message to people who I thought were smart. Moving along. It's funny. People often listen to this podcast and then will text me. Hey, you should have done this. Or you should have said that. You know, I, your, your stuff was good, but you could have done this. And I'm like, wait a second. What? It's like, listen. I don't need a co-writer. I don't need a producer. I appreciate your sentiment, but if you want to do your own podcast, feel free. Please stop telling me how I should do mine. Alright? It just, I'm not going to take your idea. It's basically the same applies to when I do my stand-up comedy. And then I have friends tell me, oh, I have a joke for you. I'm like, no, I'm not using it. This is your idea, your material. No, thank you. I am not a hack. And it also makes me sick as a stand-up comedian to learn how many comedians have writers. Like, I don't want a writer. My life is interesting in its own. I have my own material. I don't need someone to come up with fake material. It makes me sick. So, fuck you! <laughs> so, I, I talked about my surgery in the last episode. I, I seem to have surgery every month. I actually might be going for hernia surgery. Also, yes, I am a mess. I had it back in 2014, but it seems to be reappearing. It's like, what is going on in my life? Uh, I can't take it. But I'll say this. Uh, my sling that I've been in now for seven weeks because of how severe my arthroscopic surgery was on my rotator cuff, I'm finally getting it off next week. And I'll tell you this. During these seven weeks, my greatest challenge has been masturbating. They do say, listen to this, they actually say that having your arm out of the sling and put in different uh, positions could potentially ruin the surgery that was done. Listen, I'll tell you this. I would definitely take that risk and it's worth it. Like Patrick Henry once said, give me masturbation or give me death. Alright, well coming up on the other side, we're going to have NXT and AEW thoughts. And much, much more. You're listening to Morton's Law Podcast coming back after this. Welcome back to Morton's Law. Let's get right into the wrestling aspect of the show. So I'm just going to talk about what happened in NXT the last couple of weeks. Things that caught my attention. Not going to do full show reviews anymore. And uh, I just wanted to talk about the Balor and Cole match from a couple weeks back. This match was incredible. This is what wrestling should be. Unfortunately, in modern times, wrestling takes a different path. And I loved this match. Everything about it was great. The ending with, with involving Kyle O'Reilly and how they went about the finish. 
I mean, just bravo. I applaud NXT a lot of times. Listen, the product has been stale as of late, but it's picking up steam, I think, right now. And uh, just the ending of that show. And the best part about the ending of the show. And I I saw it coming. I kind of predicted it the way the camera angle was set up. And I could just feel it. And sure enough, Finn Balor standing in the ring. And he just looks over his shoulder and goes, what took you so long? And standing behind him is carrying cross. And it was perfect. And they just look at each other and the show goes off the air. And I was like, wow, NXT, they, they finally got it right. Because I've been talking for, for weeks now. What are they doing with Karrion Cross? Why is he in different angles? Not going for the, the title that he never lost. Only had to vacate due to injury. But NXT had a plan. And listen, it worked. I like the way they're going to go with this now. And um, yeah, good stuff out of that show. And then this past week... We had the show starting with Balor, and then Cross came out, and that was really good. And of course, by the way, did you see Scarlett last week? Oh my goodness, what was she wearing? I was definitely a big fan of her. She was looking really juicy, and my penis agrees. So, Balor and Cross were face to face, and and then all of a sudden, out comes Birch and Lorkin. Uh, wake me up when they leave. I mean, this <laughs> is. So they determine there's going to be a tag team title match and you're going to have Cross and Balor, who will be future opponents at NXT TakeOver, will now compete against Birch and Lorcan for the tag titles at the end of the show. By the way, you notice how NXT does stuff like this, which is really brilliant in my opinion? Like, I always talk about AEW and their go-home show and how they don't do stuff like this in terms of selling pay-per-views. Now, this isn't the NXT go-home show for TakeOver, but still... They're giving you stars at the end of the broadcast. That is the goal. I'm not saying Lorcan and Birch, but Cross and Balor. You're at least putting two stars in the ring to end your show. AEW rarely does that. So, I'm watching this match, and it was decent, don't get me wrong. But then out of nowhere, you notice it's like Danny Birch is on the side, and something happened. And you could see that, oh, before he went outside the ring, you could see that... Uh, Balor was legitimately concerned and actually just flat out stopped going at him and of course that makes you think the injury is legit and sure enough the injury was legit I just learned recently in fact that GM William Regal announced via Twitter that due to Danny Burch's separated shoulder the tag team titles have been vacated as a result of said injury Regal will also make an announcement tonight speculation already on the internet that msk will take on imperium at the next takeover to determine the new champions so pardon the sidebar i wanted to get back into that match so then balor accidentally runs into scarlet she's down and then cross who was on a knee forever i don't know what was going on there as he's waiting for the angle to play out and just from the way he was in the position he was in why couldn't he see that Balor accidentally ran into Scarlet? If he saw it at all, right? That's the only thing that didn't make sense there. If Cross saw Balor run into Scarlet, how did he not know it wasn't a mistake? But hey, that's wrestling 101, right? You have to defend your woman or whatever it is just to get more heat on the opponent. I, that's just, That makes sense. I'm not going to say it didn't, but that could have been done better. And I wanted to just briefly discuss, we talk about NXT call-ups and the future of the main title, which again should be a world heavyweight title. It shouldn't just be called the NXT title. But when you look at the future of this title right now, it is in good hands. Because whether Cross wins or doesn't win, because eventually, like I said, he's main roster bound. You have a bunch of guys now. Uh, as we know, Adam Cole isn't going main roster. I imagine Kyle O'Reilly isn't as well. So they're in the picture for the next year. Uh, the new LA Knight, former Eli, Eli Drake, made his in-ring debut last week. So I imagine he'll be in the title picture going forward. You have, well, I was going to say Pete Dunne, but let's be fair. Pete Dunne has been ruined. Ruined? Can he be repaired? Yes. Temporarily ruined? He's done way too many jobs lately, Pete Dunne. I'm sorry. Of course, they can fix him. And by the way, get him out of the singlet! The man is now in shape. They used to hide his little belly that he had, if you noticed. The man was in terrible shape for a while. 
and now he's jacked. He doesn't need to be in a singlet anymore. And by the way, how great was it to see? I couldn't watching Champa against uh, one of the Imperium guys. I forget which one it was. And then all of a sudden, music hits, and there he is on the stage. It is Walter. Yes, it's pronounced Walter. You fucking idiots who call him Walter. So there's Walter, gets into the ring, battles Champa. What a chop. Did you hear that chop? Oh my goodness. Powerbomb. And there is our match for NXT TakeOver. Now, if you remember, pre-pandemic, we were going to see Walter against Finn Balor, and that never happened. So this is equally as good, getting to see him against Champa. Excited for that match. And again, when we talk about the NXT title pitcher, he's in that mix also now that he's stateside. I can't imagine how, I mean, I don't, if you're Vince McMahon, you see Walter, how is he not eventually main roster bound? I, I don't get that. So we'll see what happens with, with Walter going forward. Moving along, Jordan Devlin is back. Now, for those who do not remember, Jordan Devlin was the Cruiserweight champion. However, around the pandemic time, when multiple women from different situations came forward, Jordan Devlin was one of those outed for inappropriate sexual conduct. But of course, as time passes, so does all those things. <laughs> so, and not to laugh at the allegations or anything, but some way, somehow, he's back. And he cuts a promo with Escobar present. And look, I, I said this last show. I believe Escobar needs to lose the Cruiserweight title because he's too big for that division. Get him chasing after Gargano or whatever it is. I mean, of course, they're both heels, but in this day and age, heels fight heels, faces fight faces. It is what it is. Now, I didn't realize this until this past Wednesday night when I was listening to Santos Escobar speak. The man is gold on the mic. Do you hear the way he delivers his his promo? He pauses the right way. He puts emphasis on the right words. I mean, this guy could be a future main event star on the main roster because he is that good on the mic. And of course, he's solid in the ring. Now, conversely, a guy just as talented in the ring was granted his release this past week in WWE. Now, Andrade, the man who was granted his release, if he could talk like Escobar, skies would be the limit for him. But unfortunately, he has not learned English. I mean, he speaks it very little, of course. He's engaged to Charlotte Flair. And reportedly, she's had to learn Spanish just to converse with him, which is so bizarre. I mean, I'm, look, I'm sure he knows some English. But the point is, he can't cut a full promo. So therefore, they have no use for him. And I also learned that he does not have a no-compete clause. So it is unknown at this moment what company he may show up at if there's interest anywhere, which there should be because the guy can go and AEW would make sense for a landing spot as they've apparently had more money to sign everyone. They might have a hundred male roster male on the roster by the end of the year, the way they're going. They also don't cut anybody. I don't know how they can afford as many people as they have. Moving along with NXT, just some thoughts here. Okay, Io Shirai is your champion, right? She's your champion, yet she's walking to the ring and challenging Raquel Gonzalez. Please explain that to me. I don't get it. I don't understand why your champion... Has has that happened before? I'm trying to have some memory here of a, cha- of a champion challenging the challenger. What is that? Okay, there's one thing to say you're a fighting champion. I get that. Maybe even... Do an open contract. Say, hey, somebody sign this. I want to. I want to challenge her. But to specifically challenge somebody, I didn't like that. I didn't think EO needed to do that. In fact, I'd rather have it the other way around, where Raquel Gonzalez wins a match. Now I know she's been in this tag team with Dakota Kai, and they just lost the tag team titles to Blackheart and Ember Moon. And by the way, there seems to be a little bit brewing there where maybe there could be a split in the future with Kai and Gonzalez. Once Kai learned that Gonzalez was going to get the title shot, she came to her and said they still have unfinished business with the tag team titles, to which Gonzalez agreed. 
but that could lead to a split in my opinion. I don't know if Kai turns face, that would make sense. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, I while I like the match and the thought process of EO against Raquel, I'm concerned, as we saw with Rhea Ripley, will Gonzalez get that same treatment? Because Rhea Ripley was as hot as it gets and she cleanly put over Io Shirai. And a lot of people were bothered by that. Now, I have not watched Raw SmackDown. I shouldn't say I haven't because I did the last show with Bobby Lashley winning the title. But I haven't watched since. So I don't know what's going on if Rhea Ripley has debuted or not. But her character, her gimmick took a major hit losing as many matches as she did in NXT. We'll see if she can be repaired on the main roster. Let's hope for the best. And talking about the women's division at NXT specifically, while there's already a lot of talent there, Taya Valkyrie is on her way. I believe she's already at the Performance Center. I could be wrong on that, but it's a matter of time before Taya Valkyrie debuts on NXT television. And for those who haven't seen her before, she's been multiple time impact champion she is also the wife of john morrison and i don't know why she hasn't been there sooner she stayed in impact quite a while after morrison left but she's as good as it gets in the ring and i imagine she will be a future nxt women's champion before being called to the main roster also One last thing regarding NXT that I think I've mentioned here a few times already, so pardon me if you're sick of hearing it. Last week, Brizengo lost again. And while they're appearing to be slightly more serious, I'm begging, begging NXT brass, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Jeremy Borash, anybody else who can hear me, for the love of God, please, Get them a gimmick makeover. They don't need the music anymore. I mean, Fandango doesn't need to be Fandango anymore. This is 2021. His name is Johnny Curtis. A lot of people know that. He was a talented guy in NXT a long time ago. Let him be Johnny Curtis. Let Tyler Breeze be Tyler Breeze again and make them a serious tag team. This hokey shit we see screams of Raw. NXT doesn't need it. And furthermore, I can guarantee you Breezango is not popping a rating in their current gimmick. Do something with them, please. I'm sick of the music. I'm sick of the dancing. It is over. Get rid of it. Moving along to AEW. So... We had heard that there was going to be an inner circle meeting. A big meeting involving the inner circle regarding what was going to happen going forward. And there was speculation on who might be kicked out, who might turn, all this other stuff. So they all get in the ring. Jericho's talking and then out comes Sammy Guevara. And all of a sudden he starts talking to the MJF and everything. And then it happened. It happened. MJF turns on everybody. Out comes FTR, out comes Tully, out comes Wardlow, big brawl ensues, they take, they knock them all out, and then we get, and then we learn that MJF has now formed Pinnacle. That is the name of the group. Listen, I cannot deny how well that was executed in terms of the storyline. MJF joins Jericho, Sammy knows something is up, and then eventually Sammy was proven to be right. In terms of storytelling, and listen, I knock AEW a lot for the nonsensical booking and a lot of the things Tony Khan is guilty of, but this was perfectly done. And listen, the only issue I have with this group pinnacle is Sean Spears. I have to say it. Think about the history of Sean Spears in this company, okay? Let's go down his road of history. He was Cody's best friend, storyline. Then he turned on Cody, gets a cool nickname, the chairman of the board, gets beat by Cody, looks like a chump in the process, and then is essentially another AEW dark guy. And and then he's gone, basically gone. Sean Spears was gone for how long? 
Then he resurfaces on Dynamite. And then it's just like out of nowhere. Now he's put in this elite main event faction. He just doesn't... uh, Listen, and I hate to say... I hate to knock Sean Spears because he's been in this business for a while and he's gotten the short end of the stick in many aspects. And look, when you look at variations of the Four Horsemen, which is what a lot of people will compare this group to, look, every faction gets compared to the Four Horsemen, right? Let's be fair. And people can talk about Paul Roma. If you're a big wrestling fan, you know the history of the Horsemen. Steve McMichael... But just because those guys did eventually go and join the Four Horsemen doesn't mean it was good then and doesn't mean we need Sean Spears in a group like Pinnacle in 2021. It's just an established group and clearly he's not on this level. These guys are legit. FTR, MJF, Tully is the manager. All this works. And by the way, you have the guy Wardlow in the back. Why can't Wardlow be part of this group, technically, as the four? And you don't need Sean Spears. It's that simple. Wardlow's still being used as a bodyguard. It makes no sense. That's the one flaw I had in all this. Furthermore, you hear people online. There's a lot of... A lot of people like this, but then there's the blowback, of course. Everyone wants to be a, a detractor, naysayer. I, I, if I'm a detractor or a naysayer, I do it because something doesn't make sense to me. I don't hate just to hate for those who are just listening now. People are saying, does MJF really need a stable? And it got me thinking. I was like, wow, when you think about the history of this business, who does MJF remind you of? And I thought about one man who never needed a stable. And MJF reminds me of this guy. And that is Rowdy Roddy Piper. So just based off of that thought, I agree with those who feel MJF doesn't need a stable. He can be on his own, and eventually they were going to do the twist where he and Wardlow broke apart with the bodyguard and so on and so forth. Now I don't know where they're going with this. So we'll see, but in terms of this stable, now that you've established this, you need to have like in the next year or so, There has to be a a case where MJF wins the heavyweight title. He has to win it. I don't know how they're going to take it off Omega, but he has to win the title at some point. And furthermore, FTR has to win the tag titles. And I don't know. I mean, I guess you can put the TNT title on Sean Spears. Just like the Undisputed Era in NXT, these four should hold the titles at some point collectively. However... I would much rather have Wardlow be the TNT champion than Sean Spears. But hey, we'll see what happens. So there was a match last week. It was the Good Brothers against Moxley and Kingston, who now seem to be doing a little bit of comedy, which kind of hurts their serious gimmick, if you will. But hey, listen, wrestling's supposed to be fun in 2021, right? So let's just review this match quickly. Kingston is getting the crap beat out of him, and he's selling like a champion. Eddie Kingston is so good in the ring, so good on the mic. I mean, he's getting his butt kicked for five minutes. They go to commercial, they come back. Kingston's still selling. I mean, it was just perfectly executed. Everything looked good. And then he makes this tag, and Moxley comes in. And listen, while the tag was good and don't get me wrong, Kingston sold for a while, so you want to make a case, okay, it was time for a tag. The tag was kind of lukewarm, all right? It was lukewarm. They could have done more. Now, I know initially Gallows had knocked Moxley off the apron while he was trying to make a tag, but here's how I'll make that tag situation better. Ready? Okay, here's how it goes. Kingston goes for the tag, and from behind him, as Kingston is staggering towards the corner... Gallows comes. He runs towards him with what looks like a clothesline. Moxley sees this from the corner and yells, Duck! Kingston ducks. Gallows runs into the corner where Moxley decks him. Now Kingston is staggering and the crowd is behind him. Then he lunges and he makes what the business has forgotten a hot tag. In comes Moxley. He destroys Gallows. He takes out Anderson. 
And that is how it should be done. Again, they're getting there. They're getting better. The tag in that scenario is good for AEW. My tag is good for pro wrestling. Let's see what happens in terms of them getting better. Now tonight, by the way, Wednesday I'm recording, of course, for those just listening. Um, Tonight we're getting TNT champion Darby Allin against the Dark Order's John Silver. Digest that for a moment. Now, for those who do not do not know, last week when Darby Allen wanted to challenge somebody, the Dark Order is in back backstage and they don't know who's going to challenge out of the group. And then all of a sudden they pick John Silver. Just like, okay. So, here's my opinion on this. I think the winner of this match should finally in their life be able to get on a ride at Great Adventure. All right, all right, listen, I know some of you are going to boo me for mocking Silver's height or lack thereof. I just don't get the love for this guy. I don't get it. I'm sorry. He's definitely not funny. I don't know who finds him funny. Listen, unless you have Down syndrome and like to watch car accidents. But I'm sorry. I don't find him funny. So last week, Brian Cage and FTR, FTR, excuse me, Brian Cage and Team Taz come out on the stage and Sting is there. Brian Cage inexplicably goes over to Sting and says, regardless what, I think he said Ricky Stark says, uh, you, I'm going to give you props. You're, you're still good. You still got it. Everything we gave you in that match, all the good stuff. And Taz is befuddled. Taz couldn't believe what Cage was saying. Team Taz is shocked. And then Cage walks off. All right. A lot of people have said this since day one when Cage walked in that company. The man is a monster and he needs to be booked better. And I think Tony Khan is starting to listen to the people because that was well done. And and another thing, if you listen to Cage in that little promo there, whatever you want to call it, he clearly does not need a mouthpiece. I have not really heard Cage cut a promo when he was an impact, but this was good. Cage sounded good. He sounded like he can carry his own mic. Doesn't need Taz. So we'll see how they break that up. But eventually Cage looks like he's going to be on his own. And should be a face. At least for now. We'll see. But I like that. I like what, what they did with Cage. Alright. Let's talk about this. AEW lost 200,000 viewers. Off the Shaq episode. They went from 9 and change to 734. That's bad. Now, while Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, the lights out match, the unsanctioned match, which was really good. Listen, that match delivered and was was worth every bit that people talk about. I know the internet's raving about it, and yes, it was that good. It was a good hardcore match without the garbage. You didn't need no barbed wire, no stuff. Although, eh, technically, it kind of got garbage with the thumbtacks at the end. But it was it was okay. It was good. It wasn't extra garbage that people would call it so I didn't have a problem with it to be honest with you but with that said it got no ratings no ratings now I don't have the quarter hour breakdown so I can't tell you if that number jumped or if it just stayed the same or if it went down for the main event but overall your show did 734,000 viewers not good and look they've done it differently in terms of having women showcased and this division has been for the most part awful but yes these two can go along with a few others talk about their champion and i don't know (laughs) there's not much to go with rio looked good Sheeta looks good but this division still needs help i want to talk about major league wrestling i don't know how many people out there know of major league wrestling have heard of major league wrestling it's available on YouTube. It's on Bean Sports. It is. It has other television outlets also. I think they're on Fight TV. I've talked about it here briefly on this. And there was a match this past week which caught my attention. Leo Rush, formerly in the WWE, for those who remember, Leo Rush um, is their middleweight champion. He's their middleweight champion. And I still don't know if there's a weight limit on this title or not. Because Leo Rush weighs in at 160 pounds. And in this match, well, the the build to this match was he had an open contract. 
He wanted anyone to sign and he would take on anybody. So I was like, okay, let's see who it is. Because MLW has a smaller roster. But it appears they may have some kind of connection with AEW. And this made me think so even more. We've seen Brian Pillman Jr. now basically on AEW for many weeks now. And he just happened to be the guy who signed the open contract. So Brian Pillman comes out in this what is known as a middleweight title match. Here's the problem. Brian Pillman weighed in at 220 pounds. Please explain to me how your middleweight champion is taking on a man that is clearly a heavyweight for your middleweight title. This makes no sense um, because my Twitter account has suspended, has been suspended as I mentioned. I went on YouTube and I commented. And I know the guy who runs the company, Court Bauer, was a former WWE writer. He should know better than this, okay? This is bad booking from the standpoint of believability. Do you, listen, I, I, I put it in comparison. John Jones, I'm a UFC fan. Court Bauer is clearly a UFC fan if you watch his shows because of the graphics. And of course, he came up with Fight Island for Tom Lawler. So yeah, Court Bauer should know better because listen, if John Jones, hypothetically, right, who's now a heavyweight, weighs in at 230 or whatever he weighs, and he were to challenge the welterweight champion of the UFC, Kamar Usman, do you think Dana White would make that match? Could he actually make the match for the welterweight title? The answer is no, that match would not happen. And as much as people like to make wrestling look real and make it look like a fight, this match made no sense. I'm watching this going, Pillman has 60 pounds on Leo Rush. And by the way, Pillman was selling in this match. I could not believe how much he was selling. There was a spot where Leo Rush is on top of him and Pillman has his face into the mat and Leo Rush is just pounding him. And I'm like, this would not happen in real life. And there's the problem where we separate real from wrestling. And it just bothered me. I mean, I, I, okay, here's another thing. Leo Rush beats him clean. No screwy finish, no heel cheating. Not so. You just made Brian Pillman look like a piece of shit here. I mean, I don't care how young or whatever you want to say about Pillman in terms of his years in this business, paying dues. He looked horrible in this match. Leo Rush is a heel. Here's what you do. You have him cheat by grabbing tights to get a roll-up pin. Or you have him grab the ropes. Or you distract the ref and then low blow. Anything but a clean pin over a heavyweight. This was horrible. This should bother anybody. If you're defending this, I don't. I can't have a conversation with you. Leo Rush at 160 pounds should not be beating a heavyweight unless he cheats. So, listen, MLW, as I said on that YouTube comment, they do a lot of things good. And I like their product slightly more than AEW. But there's some flaws right now that Court Bauer needs to fix regarding booking. So, that's that. That wraps up my wrestling thoughts. Coming back, we're going to talk about March Madness and a lot more sports. You're listening to Morton's Law Podcast, back after this. Morton's Law, back with sports. Let's get right into it. March Madness is here, everybody. It is finally here. It was an exciting first week. And uh, listen, after that hiatus, unfortunately, due to COVID, it's good to have everybody back. And, of course, they have to do it this year in one state, Indiana, based on COVID. And they have multiple arenas in that state. And everything looks good. Listen, there's there's small crowds. I have no issue with how it's presented. Pretty good look. Uh, Let's get right into some of the the games that have happened so far. Upsets galore. Let's just state that off the bat. So, Illinois, the first one seed to go out. Loyola Chicago absolutely dominated this game. They never trailed. Illinois couldn't shoot. And to be honest with you, listen, 
Loyola Chicago plays this 1980s style. If you're a fan of the NBA from the 1980s, even college basketball for that matter, it was impressive to watch them play basketball. For those who don't know, first time listener maybe, I coach youth basketball. And I love fundamentals. I love the way teams like this play. People always debate, and I hate this debate because it makes me nauseous. People say, oh, well, the teams from the past wouldn't be able to compete with today's modern teams. Listen, always to me, fundamentals and intelligence will always be greater than athletic ability and talent. And it bothers me when people can, when you watch this game, okay? When you watch this game and you see how well Loyola played their perimeter defense and how well, I mean, Illinois could barely get a shot off. This is how good this defense was. The discipline on defense. This coach is is remarkable. I mean, the way his players pay attention to detail. This is rare. And furthermore, in terms of my issue with modern basketball, and when you look at guys from the past and that debate I just mentioned, I don't know his name, and I should, I apologize, but the center for Loyola was just so dominant on the interior, scoring whenever he wanted with some basic moves. I mean, these were moves that reminded me of legendary Celtic Kevin McHale. Now, this guy, this center for Loyola, is about 30% of the talent that Kevin McHale had. So when you're comparing yesteryear to today, there is no doubt in my mind a player with the intelligence of a Kevin McHale, albeit slower than today's modern athlete, just with his intelligence alone, he would dominate today's game. There's no doubt in my mind, just by getting people to jump all the time, because let's be fair, there are many undisciplined defenders at both levels who jump at any fake. And Kevin McHale was the master of the fake, and this guy in this game dominated Kofi Coburn. And I was impressed. Loyal right now just looks as good as any team. And defensively, I mean, I did you see what they did in some of their traps? I was impressed with their traps as a coach. The point guard for Illinois, Dusuma, I think that's how you pronounce his name. The second he would cross half court, you'd have a guy come and then the center on Loyola would jump in. And on three different occasions... The center was able to knock the ball off of Deuceman's hands and it went out of bounds. And I just love the way they approached their defense as a coach. I would show my kids a tape or film of how Loyola plays defense. It is as good as you'll see ever in the history of this game. And now they're going to face Oregon State. And I'm just I'm excited to see how well they play against a Pac-12 school. By the way. The Pac-12 has put the nation on notice. I mean, they have four schools in the Sweet 16. They've been dominant. Oregon, who embarrassed Iowa. I mean, oh my God, talk about a shootout in that game. What, they scored 95 points in that game? Couldn't, could, I mean, wow. They have to play USC, which is unfortunate because it's like Pac-12 on Pac-12 crime, if you will. One of the two schools are going to be eliminated. When who knows the way the Pac-12 is going. If they had to play another conference, you might have four schools going into the Elite Eight. But that's just how the brackets are drawn, of course. Can't do anything about that. But UCLA was dominant. I mean, Abilene Christian, who beat Tech, by the way. Let's talk about Texas for a second. What a joke. What a joke of a program. I mean, you can't make up how bad Texas has been recently. And I don't want to put this as an indictment on Shaka Smart. But his recruiting has to be better than this. Has to be. A lot of his kids, like I just mentioned, are athletes with quote-unquote talent. Fundamentally, Texas cannot be worse in how they play basketball. Terrible. 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 That's a horrible Barkley. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah. Hey, Pac-12. Impressed. But now Oregon has to play, as I mentioned, USC. The thing is, while they scored 95 against Iowa, they only scored 58 in the one meeting against USC. So we'll see what happens in that matchup. But, I mean, recently, let's be fair about the Pac-12. The conference has been quiet in basketball and football. It's almost like the forgotten conference. Like this past football season, nobody even cared they played. And they started later than everybody, so they weren't even considered for the, the, the championship in terms of the playoff. 
But now, listen, they're making a major dent in this year's tournament, and they're earning their respect. Conversely, the Big Ten, oh my goodness, I already mentioned Illinois. What an embarrassment. This conference was rated number one all regular season, and they have looked abysmal, to say the least. Overrated is an understatement. Although Michigan is still hanging around. Michigan, the one seed, without livers, still alive. And to be fair, while the other schools have lost, Rutgers, let's let's give it up for Rutgers, because they came so close to beating number two seed Houston, and they just f- fell short. But that was an impressive performance by a Big Ten school, not really on the upper echelon of the conference. Moving along, let's be fair here. And I said this from day one. When the brackets came out, this is how I feel. Gonzaga and Baylor are headed for a collision course in the championship game. I do not see... I mean, look, Baylor's more susceptible than Gonzaga, but I think this is going to be your championship game. These have been the two best teams in the country for the whole regular season, and I think it will pan out that way in this tournament. I'll say this, though. This was a bit alarming for me because I was watching this Gonzaga-Oklahoma game very closely. The Zags were up 18 in the early second half. And then all of a sudden, Oklahoma started to do something, which I had not seen this year, where they just continued to drive the ball. Drive, drive, drive. They got Drew Timmy in high pick and rolls. They had him isolated on on the point guards, on switches, and they drove to the basket. And if there's ever a blueprint now going forward, I'm not saying another school can do this. We'll see. But... If you're going to get Timmy in those screen and rolls, well, then clearly there's a there's an interior defensive issue for Gonzaga. You can attack them at the rim if you get Timmy in, in those uh, situations. And I'm imagining any coach now going forward is going to say, hey, wait a second. We can attack the rim on them. They don't defend it very well. Let's look at the Sweet 16 in general, of course. Everyone's favorite team, Oral Roberts. Had another comeback win against Florida. They'll get Arkansas next. By the way, did Oral Roberts have a sister named Anal? Just curious. And I know locally everybody's with the pom-poms. And I hear it all over the place. As someone who works in sports television knows. The Syracuse alum are excited that they won two games. And they didn't just win two games. They dominated two games. Let's be fair. I mean, I know West Virginia made a comeback at the end there, and the game was very winnable for them, but Syracuse defense and the shooting of Buddy Beheim, uh, you have to tip their hat as much as you may hate Syracuse alum. <laughs> and a lot of people hate him. <laughs> a lot of people hate him. But, uh, yeah, give them credit. Listen, nobody thought Syracuse should even be in this tournament. That's all you heard was their lack of quality wins and the fact that they were, I believe, the, the, the last four in. So... But, and a lot of people thought they should have even, they did, they avoided the play-in situation. But now they shut everybody up. Because look, everybody was on the San Diego State bandwagon. Let, let's talk about that conference for a second. The Mountain West Conference has been in similar positions in the past, including with this very San Diego State team. And they just find a way to gag in these spots. That was an embarrassment. And um, so now the Cuse will get Houston. Well, of course, we just mentioned they looked vulnerable against Rutgers. So you can make a case Syracuse can easily go to the Elite Eight beating Houston, who, of course, played in the lesser conference, wasn't challenged as much. I mean, this is incredible. What a run for Syracuse potentially here. Last but not least, talking about March Madness, Roll Tide. Everybody's saying it. Now, listen, I'm not going to be a fraudulent fan here. I am a UNC basketball fan. I am an Alabama football fan. And I would never cross over and become an Alabama college basketball fan just because they're in this position. I do think it's great for the program. In fact, I started thinking about this the other day. (laughs) Do you think, and I don't even know his name, and I should, the Alabama basketball head coach, when he walks on campus, does he have to show ID? (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, who are you? (laughs) What is your name? (laughs) Think about it, right? It's like, who is this guy? It's like Patrick Ewing walking to the garden. Oh, that, that's, <laughs> this is funny, but I mean, Nick Saban probably has a red carpet rolled out for him, has his own parking spot. 
this guy, this Alabama basketball coach probably has to pay for parking. <laughs> it's like, who is this guy? Now they're going to learn his name at the program. But yeah, it's, it's impressive. And they're scoring a lot of points. Alabama is just rolling on people. They have a good matchup coming up. We'll see what they do. I mean, they, they're playing UCLA. And of course, all the Bruin alums are going crazy. But I, I just, I mean, look, UCLA shut down Abilene Christian. I don't know if they can shut down Alabama's offense. And by the way, it's interesting. I didn't, I, I forgot this because my memory is atrocious. But I was thinking, who is the only program to win the national championship in football and the national championship in basketball in the same season? And the answer, the Florida Gators. And I forgot about that. Of course, under Joakim Noah with my head coach at the Chicago Bulls, Billy Donovan. And then, uh, of course, winning with Tim Tebow as quarterback that same year. So I don't know. I don't like I said. I don't believe Alabama is going to get to that position, but they could get to the Final Four at least. Switching gears to the NBA, LeBron James high ankle sprain. For those who didn't see it, LeBron James was in a position that suits him well—the fetal position. If you saw the injury, he was in agony. Listen, I don't want to be harsh on. Okay, I'm going to be harsh on him. I am not the biggest... Okay, I am not even a fan of LeBron James. Alright? The man is a diva. Uh, He has put himself on the injured list all year as probable. Obviously, this ankle sprain was legit, so I'm not going to say it wasn't. But now he's going to miss an extended period of time with it. And I don't know. I just... I don't... I think there's always a method to his madness. I think he's mentally soft... I have issues with a lot of the things, like the, the, the story that surfaced about LaMelo Ball not being a fan of his, or not looking up to him, and then LeBron goes and posts uh, pictures on Instagram of the two of them working out together or something like that, which everybody gave backlash towards, and a lot of people now are coming out talking about LeBron. I've even heard kids at the park playing basketball talk about, and remember, these are young kids, some of the kids that I coach, saying how LeBron is soft. And then they got to watch The Last Dance. And a lot of kids weren't privy to Michael Jordan's history. They heard about Jordan, but they didn't get to really see it. Unless, of course, you watch YouTube videos. But when The Last Dance came out, I think it put a different perspective on Jordan's legacy versus LeBron's legacy and the comparison that many have made over the years. And they got to see Jordan getting abused by the Pistons, knocked down, weighing 215 pounds, getting back up. Without really any issue. Going to the line. Making his free throws. Taking it like a man. And then you see a 6 foot 9 inch. 260 pound. What would be a tight end in the National Football League. Going to the basket. And any little bit of contact. Crying to the officials. Falling to the ground. Looking like he got shot on some plays if you watch. How do you respect this man? How? And again, I want to separate the two here. Talking about his softness in terms of mentally and physically does not take away from his abilities on the court. He is by far one of the top five basketball players to ever play this game. His skill level is next level. He is that good. As a passer, his field goal percentage is through the roof. I don't deny any of that, of his abilities. And to all these detractors who say, oh, he's only 3-6 and six in the finals. That's still remarkable. I'm not going to take it away from him that he's been to the finals nine times. That's, that's incredible. It is. And say what you will about the loss is fine. You want to say he's, he's lost all those finals? That's fair too. But the man is an all-time great and he should be more tougher than this. He's almost like a woman that needs validation all the time. He's always seeking validation. It's like, no matter how great he is, he wants to be told he's great instead of just letting people say it. He's even gone on record and says he's the GOAT, right? Am I wrong about that? It, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Moving along, I'm, I'm really fed up with this. And people talk about ratings in the NBA dropping this year. And I think the biggest reason ratings have taken a hit this year, and while people care less about the NBA, load management. This is an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment to players of the past 
who made far less money than today's NBA players courtesy TV contracts and revenue that the league has made. And now you have guys sitting on the bench making $10 million a year as a seventh guy, not even a starter. It's a joke. And these guys sit out and it hurts ratings when you have games on TNT and guys are sitting out. I know the league has addressed this. And even this year, Kawhi Leonard has played more than he did last year, to be fair. However, there were guys last year who didn't even participate in the bubble. So think about that for a second. They didn't play from March all the way until, what was it, around Christmas when the season started? And the guys like that are still getting time off. Still having load management. There's no way you can defend this. And I think the general public... More so the casual fan is like, I don't want to see this. Why do I want to watch this? I don't want to watch teams play not at full strength. What am I getting out of it? Star players sitting. Not even star players. Some other players too are sitting. It's bad. It's bad for the league. And I hope they can correct going forward. My concern is other sports are going to piggyback off of this too. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, listen, baseball has a 162 game schedule. What if now guys start doing load management there? guys play only five games a week now or something just it's bad what's happening to sports in general and um and it's one of the reasons i hate the nba it really is in in conjunction with the way they play the three-point shot the lack of defense the like i mentioned earlier lawyer chicago how they play their zone the nba zone is so bad for the most part i'm not gonna say it's all bad i would be lying to you i mean listen there's a there's a aberration there's always an exception to the rule of course there's a handful of teams in the league that play great defense but overall it's an embarrassment guys run around with their head cut off i mean they look like chickens out there they don't know where to go they they run to the ball run to this run to that there is no discipline it's bad and it really is like i was just telling friends last night in a text message i think just based on my thoughts on modern wrestling modern sports in general i look i love football so much but i think there'll be a time in my life where i only watch tv movies and football i could easily see myself not watching the nba basketball in general it's just i don't know what's happening it's just everybody's soft everybody's soft. i remember like talking about listen um and that's another thing it's a jekyll and hyde league you don't know when these players are going to show up on a given night Sometimes they try, sometimes they don't. The passion, the passion is gone for a lot of players. I'm, again, I don't want to say everybody. That would be false. But you see it. Guys quit during games. And these guys are making all this money. And when you think about the guys from the, not even the 80s and 90s, going back to the 60s, 70s. Guys who worked hard every game to win because they cared to win. And they made a tenth of the salary guys are making today. This is, this is an easy league to hate. And I know a lot of people who hate the NBA. It's hard to like it. It is. And I don't deny the skill level. I talk about the skill level. Yes, great athletes. But again, the level of intelligence. And I'm talking basketball IQ specifically. I don't want to see these guys are all idiots. Basketball IQ. You see the small things they do. The inability to switch on defense the over helping over helping oh my goodness they leave a, a wide open shooter all the time because they want to go help why don't you trust your defender one-on-one it's so bad There's so many flaws well speaking of that i mean to, to transition to a legend in the in the game of basketball who passed away this past week elgin baller i mean talk about great listen i'm not going to claim to have watched him play way before my time but when you look at his stats and his double doubles from the rebounding aspect i mean i believe he was six seven and the man averaged double digit rebounds for a lot of years in his career 27 points per game just an absolute scoring machine a lot of people say he was unguardable and just sad that he passed of course i mean but I remember an interview Michael Jordan had done, I want to say after he retired, was it the first or the second? I think it was the second time when he was finally done with basketball. And they asked him if he thought he was the greatest of all time. 
And in the most humble answer Jordan could give, he said no. And then he cited the reason. He said, I never played against Elgin Baylor, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West. That's why I don't think I'm the greatest. And and that's that's an interesting thought. Because a lot of guys can say that about themselves. Oh, I'm the greatest this. But you can't dismiss the past. And, and when people talk about the evolution of man and how much faster today's athlete is, that might be case to, um, a case to a degree, but not that much. And again, you talk about the intelligence of a player and the ability to get his shot off any way, shape, or form. Switching gears, moving on to the NFL. And I'm in pain right now as a fan. I am I'm mentally in pain what the Bears are doing right now. I don't, I mean, Andy fucking Dalton. Are you kidding me? Andy Dalton. Uh, you can't make it up. And listen, people want to talk about his career with the Bengals and all the playoff appearances or whatever. And he didn't make that many, did he? I mean, how many playoff appearances did Dalton make? By the way, how many, more importantly, did he win? I believe Andy Dalton has zero playoff wins. Am I wrong? I didn't look it up, but you tell me. Furthermore, I remember a playoff game when Andy Dalton was injured. And former Alabama quarterback, A.J. McCarron, threw a touchdown pass to A.J. Green, and the Bengals had the lead, and were going to win the playoff game with A.J. McCarron at quarterback. Until the idiot, Vontez Perfect, had a penalty on Antonio Brown, which led to a game-winning field goal. So, yes... And then when you look at Mitchell Trubisky, albeit a disaster at times, which is his overall passing, led the Bears, led is strong, helped the Bears get to the playoffs on two separate occasions. So aren't you essentially bringing in a quarterback who's almost the same? How much better is Dalton than Trubisky? Just saying. And the Bears are a mess overall right now. A mess. They cut Kyle Fuller, which I, I don't have much of an issue with because I think Kyle Fuller, while he's a good corner, he gets beat way too many times for having that stamp of being a good corner. And I think he plays a lot of that soft coverage where he gives up a lot of that stuff underneath, but then doesn't get beat deep. So to me, I hate that soft coverage. There's nothing worse than giving your receiver 10 yards. It's just terrible. And quarter, good quarterbacks pick you apart all day on five and seven yard uh, outs or slants or anything along this stop and goes or just turnarounds. I mean, anything along those lines beat that soft coverage. And then I've learned Akeem Hicks wants out. He wants to be traded from the Bears. An important pass rusher on this defense wants out. I have not heard any news recently on that. So pardon me if something has surfaced. In the time frame in which I read the article. But cannot lose Akeem Hicks. That, that's crucial. And then I learned that. Galladay from the Lions. Had shown up to visit the Bears. And was interested in signing. And then. Signs with the Giants. Days later. Like what happened there? How did he not sign with the Bears? I don't Just a mess. Although I'll say this, some, some positive. Allen Robinson, who was franchised, he did sign his tag, so he's back. And then you hear that even though they brought in Dalton, the Bears are still reportedly trying to get Russell Wilson. And listen to this. For those who don't know about the trade offer Ryan Pace made to the, the Seahawks, reportedly two first rounds, a third round, and then a player, or no, maybe two players on the roster which rumored one to be, uh, excuse me, Akeem Hicks, uh, Khalil Mack. And I don't know what's going on there. I don't know what Carroll's thinking and the Seahawks franchise if you're not going to trade Russell Wilson for that package. All those first-round picks, or was it second-round picks? I forget, pardon me. But it was a lot of picks along with a couple roster players. I didn't get that. And then I hear... That the Eagles want Nick Foles back. Like, what? <laughs> I don't know. Listen, the Bears have to get, they have to unload a lot more cap if they want to get Russell Wilson. So I guess they're just trying to unload everybody right now. 
what a, it, it's hard to be a Bears fan right now. It is painful. I know a lot of fans of other franchises can relate in terms of suffering and misery. And I became a Bears fan off the Super Bowl season. And I've had nothing since. Uh, one appearance, don't get me wrong, in which they lost to the Colts. But it's horrible. But I'm loyal, so I stay. Oh, God. Last but not least, for those who care, big fantasy baseball draft coming up. Yes, baseball is back. How about that? Baseball is back. There'll be fans in the crowd. There'll be a percentage of people in the stadium. I believe 20%. So at City Field, that will be normal capacity. Lots of... uh, Big trades being made in my fantasy draft upcoming next week. Yeah, a lot of people are swapping picks. The the individual had the number one pick, swapped, and then he traded with me. So I actually now have the 10th pick when I initially had the 8th pick. So a lot of movement being made in that. Listen, a lot of the people in the draft or in this league listen to this podcast. So I get you who don't pay attention to this podcast probably don't care about my fantasy situations i get that but uh yeah so apparently the legendary johnny millionaire would sell his soul for bryce harper which it looks like he's done here unless of course someone steals him earlier but that's what everybody the consensus believes that bryce harper will go with the number eight pick and speaking of which it's a lot of work for our used to be bloated commissioner who's now apparently in great shape, or at least getting there. Listen, you know him. I've talked about him on the show. I promoted his podcast, Box Seat Suck. You know him as Tony Soprano. But, I mean, he's really getting into shape. I honestly believe he's getting ready to leave his wife. There's no way around it. I mean, listen, why else would you get into shape when you're married? There's got to be a reason, right? Unless, unless he jerks off in the mirror and was sick of seeing what he looks like. I don't know. So before we wrap it up, I just mentioned the Box Seat Suck podcast. Don't forget to listen to the Valerie Lynn show. Check that out. She's funny and crazy like I am. And of course, uh, the Work Shoot podcast. Check that out. And uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me. Another edition of Morton's Law. I'll be back in a week or two with more stuff. Thank you and God bless gay sex.